as we had uh, a good portion of certainly a quorum of the board of stewards here and many church members uh, an impromptu vote was held to fund one of the youth at our sister church in Shepherd for their summer camp experience this year and to put in reserve in case it's needed uh, a second uh, portion for a second youth to go to camp. That is extraordinary generosity. And I know there are many reasons that that has occurred this morning because, well, there's this attitude of generosity that has been a part of the hospitality of this particular body of Christ, certainly as long as I've been here and uh, years before I got here, this is the church that cares. Ask anybody. And so on behalf of the Shepherd Church, I want to thank you for that generosity, that gift um, that will make a child summer, but more importantly, it will provide an opportunity for that child, that youth, to make a choice for Christ, which is an eternal gift. Talk about the gift that keeps on giving. The summer camp experience, um, the youth group has booked session C at Lakeview, which is predominantly run by Global Methodist Church pastors and counselors. So we know the quality of the theology that they'll get in the midst of all that fun is going to be worthwhile for them. And so thank you for making that possible. Um, I'm positive that God will bless such generosity in ways that we aren't even aware of yet. This morning, it is the fifth Sunday in the Lenten season, and there are just so many good passages of Scripture in the lectionary for today. Um, I am choosing to come out of the Gospel of John for the main portion of my message this morning, but then I will finish up with the Old Testament reading that Cindy read out of Ezekiel because they go together so well, I think you'll see. So in the gospel, according to John, in the 11th chapter, we have the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. It's a story that I'm sure you're familiar with, but like every passage of scripture, the Holy Spirit has something for each of us this morning. It's between you and the Holy Spirit as to what that is for you. But for now, just listen to what John writes in his gospel. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, the same Mary, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus saying, Big pardon?
And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not meant for death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. See, Jesus gets word that his friend, Lazarus, is ill. And he understands that God is orchestrating events in such a way that God will be glorified and that Jesus will be glorified through those events. So though he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus, He doesn't go immediately to Bethany. He waits. He waits before going to Bethany. And hear what it says in verse 7. Then after he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you in Judea, and yet you're going there again? And Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks during the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of his world. But if anyone walks during the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after this, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going so that I may awaken him from sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will come out of it. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about actual sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but now let's go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, yeah, let's go so that we may die with him. Jesus is not concerned with the same things that concern the disciples about returning to Judea. See, the disciples are concerned for their physical safety. But Jesus has his eyes set on a higher purpose. He tells them, you keep forgetting, disciples, I am the light of the world. And those who walk in the light walk in surety, in security, And in safety. How often do we forget that we walk with Jesus? As we live out our lives, as we walk in the world. How often do we forget? Because we have our eyes set too low. As we have our eyes set in the world. We forget that we are not in the world by ourselves. In Jesus we have surety. In Jesus, we have security. In Jesus, we have safety. And so Jesus tells them that Lazarus has died and that he must go to awaken him, to which Thomas comments to his fellow disciples, probably muttering under his breath. Remember, he's doubting Thomas. He's the skeptic in the group. Yeah, let's go so that we can die with him. It's always the pessimist. 
And when I read that passage, I find myself thinking about times when I have received news that a loved one has passed on from this life. Even when there's no doubt in my mind that they are heaven bound, it still comes to me as a blow. It still sinks my heart a certain degree. I remember getting the news about my brother Michael's death after he was hit by a drunk driver. What a blow that was. Or my dad's sudden passing. I think about my, my grandmother and my grandfather, my, my cousin who took his own life, my, my uncle, members of our church family here. When I, when I, when I get word that someone has passed even to be with Jesus, it still comes as a blow to my heart, and I'm sure to yours also. The sense of loss that we experience in our human condition, even for believers in Christ, is emotionally impacting on us, is it not? So John writes in his gospel, so when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about 15 stadia away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. So then Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes into the world. See, there's great emotional impact when someone leaves this human experience ahead of us. And Martha and Mary are no exceptions. They're grieving and, and many people have turned out to console them and to grieve with them. And Martha hears Jesus is coming and she runs out to meet him and she makes a statement that implies a question that many have asked at the loss of a loved one. The statement is, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And the question that that implies is, where were you, Lord, when we needed you? Why weren't you here? If you've ever lost a loved one, you might have asked that question. It's okay, God, we serve a great big God. He can take our laments. In fact, He expects them because our lamentations are a means of grace when expressed to a loving God. Let me say that again. Our lamentations, our grief, are a means of grace when we express them 
to a loving, caring God. He can take the tough questions. Don't be ashamed of those thoughts. Where were you, God? God understands the loss of a loved one. After all, He gave His one and only Son to die on a cross for you. He understands grief. So John continues, when she had said this, she left and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard this, she got up quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still at the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and were consoling her when they saw that Mary had gotten up quickly and left, they followed her thinking that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And so when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the man who was blind not have also kept Lazarus from dying? See, it's a time of great emotional impact. It's the kind of emotional gripping of our soul that we experience in the face of physical death. Why? Because it's an unknown to us in our human condition. We have faith that takes us beyond physical death. That's true. But we also have questions. Questions that won't be answered until we are on the other side of it. And so Mary goes out to meet Jesus and she makes the same statement, which implies the same question. Lord, where were you when we needed you? Why did you let this happen, Lord? And she weeps. And those that are there to console her, they weep. And the scripture says Jesus wept. Jesus, the one who knew that all of this was for God's glory. The one who knew that all of this would glorify him, glorify God. That very same Jesus who knew that Lazarus would rise from the dead, that same Jesus still wept real human tears. See, God is a God who cares for his people. Jesus wept because he was moved by their tears. Jesus, the son of God, who would raise Lazarus from the dead, wept as the son of man, the completely human Jesus who walked every miles in our shoes, who experienced every temptation, every hardship, every grief that we experience as humans. Jesus wept. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But I knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Out came the man who had died bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. So in John's Gospel account, we reach this incredible climactic point. Jesus raises a very dead Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raises him from the dead. It's amazing, but it's not surprising. Amazing, but not at all surprising because resurrection is what Jesus does. He goes to the cross and he dies and then to the grave. And three days later, he is resurrected, conquering death, taking away all the sin of the world. And in so doing, he gives to us his righteousness so that we too would have a share in his resurrection and have eternal life with him. Resurrection is what Jesus does. Are you with me? Say it with me. Resurrection is what Jesus does. Jesus resurrected Lazarus and Jesus resurrects you and me when we confess with our mouths that he is Lord and we believe in our core being as our very identity, we believe that he was resurrected from the dead. And when he resurrected Lazarus, he said to the people there witnessing this amazing but not at all surprising event, unbind him and let him go. I like the King James Version better here. It says, loose him and let him go. In other words, free him. Turn him loose. Stop holding him down with your material mortal thoughts of mortality and bondage to sin and death. No, free him. Resurrect your minds. Think of him the way God thinks of him, not dead, but alive in Christ, not temporal, but eternal, not material, but spiritual. Think of him as God thinks of him. Loose him and let him go. See, Jesus wants you to be loosed and let go. Here's the good news. Through Jesus and his selfless act on the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you as a believer in Christ, you have been loosed and let go of the bondage of sin and death. You have been freed, 
untied, unbound from the death bindings. His resurrection is your resurrection. Now I promised that I would end with Ezekiel because they tie together so very well. Listen to this. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet finds himself in a valley of dry bones. As far as he can see, nothing but dry bones all across the landscape. Do you get the picture? A valley of dry bones scattered. And the Lord comes to him and says, Mortal, I have a question for you. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel answers saying, Oh Lord God, only you know. See, I love Ezekiel's response in that moment because instead of pretending to know, which none of us can possibly, Ezekiel gives the answer up to the only one who has the answer, the Lord God, He acknowledges God as the one in absolute sovereign control. And it brings to mind that like Ezekiel, we can sometimes find ourselves standing, especially in this Lenten season, amidst a valley of dry bones. The issues of our past sins, our past trespasses, our past defeats and failures, Our current struggles and circumstances, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual brokenness is scattered all around us on the valley floor like so many dried bones. But see, we serve a great and mighty God. God that's bigger than anything in our past. A God that's bigger than any of the obstacles in our way. A God who levels mountains and raises up valleys, making rough places plain, smoothing out and preparing the way for us, breathing life into us and into our current circumstances. And so like Ezekiel, we must be still. We must wait and listen to the Lord for his wisdom and for his direction. And when he comes to us and asks us the question, mortal, can these bones live? In other words, can you overcome all of this? Can you move past your issues? Can you forgive and be forgiven? Can we let go of our past and move forward into our hope in Christ when he comes to us? We can then say through the faith and the confidence that we have in our great God, which we've been given by the Holy Spirit, as as we bow our knees in reverent submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, giving God all the honor and the glory, we can then say in response to that question, can these bones live? Can you rise out of your circumstances? We can say to him, Oh Lord God, only you know. It's his power, not willpower, that raises you 
from the circumstances that the world gives you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, Lord Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit, now and forever.